Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check, Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Word up. That. Biblical, biblical, theology, theology, study, the person of God, attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet, so please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology, that phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough, uh-huh. just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses Who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes So clever we behold his endeavors unfold The greatest story ever told The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we got to see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflection so we can follow the Bible, not just our affections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our death, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We got to see the importance of biblical theology. Welcome to another edition of Theology Matters. I'm your host, Devin Palou, and I should have my uh, lovely bride on on the line. Melissa, are you there? I'm here. 
<laughs> Glad to be here. Yes, it's always good to be able to come back for another week, and Lord has granted us another another week to be on, so we're definitely uh, blessed to be able to uh, to come on. So we just want to welcome everybody, and uh, and so glad you guys are with us. We've got a great show tonight, and uh, going to dive into some some good interesting things. So let me go ahead and pray first, and then we will kind of introduce a little bit about who we are for those who may be your first time listening, and uh, we'll go from there. So, uh, our uh, Father in Heaven, we just uh, thank you for another day, Lord, that you have uh, given us the ability to be able to wake up and uh, be able to breathe in fresh air and just be alive. It's such a good pleasure just to be able to be alive. Such an exciting time with uh, with Christmas season, Lord, and uh, our minds fixed on the incarnation and what uh, Christmas and what the gospel is is all about. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that um, you bless our show, that it will go out, and uh, those who hear it will be uh, blessed and equipped by it, Lord, and that in everything we do we would uh, honor the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Melissa, why don't you tell them a little bit about who we are and, and what we do? Okay, I can do that. Um, I think everyone knows our name, <laughs> Devin and Melissa, and we um, live in Fort Mill, South Carolina. We live right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, so we're right about probably five minutes outside of Charlotte. We are students at Southern Evangelical Seminary in Matthews, North Carolina. Um, we um, just love learning. We love apologetics. We love theology. We love philosophy. Um, and that was kind of the idea behind this show, was just to have a forum to come together to discuss the different issues within the world of apologetics and theology and to bring some really smart people on the air with us who know a whole lot more than we do, <laughs> um, who have really studied uh, a lot of these issues in depth to share their knowledge with us, um, to equip us and, and our audience as well. And um, so we just love doing this. We love learning. We love um, introducing our audience to some wonderful people that we are blessed to know, um, you know, not only on an academic level but just on a personal level, just men and women of God. And it's just a great time to come together just to, to you know, for iron to sharpen iron, and um, we're just blessed to be a part of this. Yeah, we definitely, definitely are. It's always a good time of learning and studying and uh, always walk away uh, just amazed at the, uh, the glory of God, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's the purpose of, of the show. That's what we want to do. So, Amen. Yeah. We actually have a, a, a Facebook uh, page on the Internet, so we have a lot of our uh, our updates, our podcasts are on there. So if you're looking maybe for older shows, uh, we put some articles, some videos uh, up during the week. And um, you can find that at facebook.com slash theology matters. That's facebook.com slash, uh, slash theology uh, matters. And... Uh, be sure to look us up on there. So we have a lot of a lot of good stuff. So and also we we are also now 
um, available on iTunes. So this whole network, the Invisible Conservative Network, um, which includes the Pro-Life Friday show, which I'm a part of, Theology Matters Today, and the Reality in Christ um, Worship Hour, um, is all downloadable um, through iTunes. So you can go back and, and download it on, to your iTunes or just have it automatically download. But like Devin said, the links to all of the past shows are on our Facebook page. As you scroll down, you'll be able to see all the different topics that we've covered. Um, if there's one of particular interest to you, you can just download that particular one or, you know, vice versa. So we're excited about that, though, with iTunes. Absolutely. Make it a little easier for people to uh, to get the download on that. So. Yeah, have, uh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say sometimes people can't catch the show live and they think that they can't listen, but all the shows are recorded, so you definitely can listen afterwards. Yep, that's right. So we have a good show today. We have, uh, we're have supposed to have Dr. Geisler. He's going to be calling in hopefully uh, within a few minutes here, and we're going to do about a, a 30-minute interview with him. And uh, those who don't know, um, you know, Dr. Geisler, if you're if you're into apologetics at all in any type of sense, then you'll know who who Dr. Geisler is. He's written over 80 books. Um, just a great guy. Just been a huge, huge uh, uh, mentor in my life, and somebody that I really look up to, learned uh, so much from. So we're really blessed yeah. to have him. Yeah, he's and then definitely we're gonna have- been. Yeah, I was just going to add him that, yeah, Dr. Geiser, we've learned so much from him. We got to sit in uh, classes with him as our teacher, but also just on a personal level, having got to know him and spend time with him, with him and his wife. And um, it's just been such a blessing um, in our lives to, to know him and to learn from him. Absolutely, definitely, definitely. And uh, we have another good brother, uh, Mike Koslinski. I think, how do you say that? How do you say the name? It's Mike Koslinski. Koslinski, okay. I wasn't sure exactly how to say it. But another dear brother that uh known for a good while on Facebook anyway. Really looking forward to, uh, to talking with him. And uh, Melissa, tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about with him. Um, Mike is a Christian counselor, and he is also a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary with an apologetics degree. So he's going to um, share with us about knowing uh, theology and apologetics and specifically issues within those um, uh, the, within the world of apologetics and theology that actually affects um, the approach to counseling. And it's actually really, really fascinating. Um, you'd be surprised if you look at um, how you view um, God, the view of man, the view of salvation, um, and all these different issues, how it really affects um, how we counsel one another. And so not even for just professional counselors, but just um, on a personal basis with our friends, a lot of our misunderstandings about the world and our problems come from a misunderstanding and, and um, misrepresentations in our own theology. Um, and so he will get into that and into how even apologetics is useful and needed in the world of counseling. So we'll see how um, this, what we study, isn't just isolated to academics um, or the scholarly um, realm, but in very practical ways. So I'm really, really excited about that segment with with Mike. It will be a lot of fun. We're going to learn a lot of good stuff. 
So anyway, I believe we have our first uh, guest on the line. And uh, Melissa, I will let you introduce Dr. Geisler. I don't know if I feel worthy enough to introduce Dr. Geisler. Um, <laughs> um, actually, if I took the time to really thoroughly and comprehensively introduce him, we'd probably spend the whole show um, just talking about that in and of itself. But like Devin said earlier in the show, if you know anything about apologetics or theology, you um, there's no way that you can, um, can miss the impact that Dr. Geisler has had um, in the world of theology and apologetics. And he has written over 80 books on these topics on topics ranging from systematic theology to open theism to the existence of God, um, just a, a wide range of topics. Um, defending the Bible and the historicity of the Bible um, is a big area of his, and he's taught all over the world. Um, he has founded two apologetics-based seminaries, and he is even at, he continues to go. He continues to do God's work and travel and teach and write, and he is not slowing down one bit. So um, we're really, really excited to have Dr. Norman Geiser on the line with us. Dr. Geiser, well, you there? Thank you. Uh, thank you. It's great to be uh, with you. Oh, we're so thank excited. <laughs> yeah, great to, great to hear your voice again, Dr. Geisler. I hope you're doing well tonight. I am, and I hope you guys are. We are, we are doing doing getting ready for the Christmas uh, so season. Yes, uh, the Christmas uh, season to be jolly. Uh, my wife and I are enjoying uh, the uh, season already with the, our shopping virtually finished. The tree is up, and uh, we're enjoying the Christmas music and the programs. I just love Christmas time. Yes. Yeah. Doctor Kessler's wife, she can play the piano so so good. So I'm sure you're getting all the good old uh, Christmas hymns in. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yes, I just convinced her. Had to twist her arm a little bit to uh, do a, a bunch of songs that we put on a recording with some beautiful uh, scenery music that my her cousin uh, took that we're going to make available to to the public soon. Oh wow, that's awesome, Dr. Geisler. So, what what have you been up to um, as far as traveling or writing or speaking or kind of what are you, what have you been up to lately? Well, let's start with uh, uh, early last year. I've been putting off uh, uh, invitations to go overseas because I don't really like to travel overseas that much. I don't like the language barrier, and I don't like uh, uh, speaking with interrupters, as we call them. And um, uh, but I've been getting invitations from Brazil, a lot of them, and I turned down one to speak to 10,000 uh, pastors. And then after I did, I um, I became a little uh, convicted that I should go. They've translated 10 or 12 of my books into Portuguese, and so I said, okay, Lord, the next uh, the next invitation I will accept. And the next invitation was to a group of 50,000 people. <laughs> So I went last February uh, to this group at a terrific time. Wow. Well, that was no that's doubt awesome. the largest crowd, right? Yeah, that's probably the largest crowd uh, Yeah, we've been at. That was uh, 
It was wonderful. But God is doing great things in Brazil. That's kind of the United States of South America. It's almost as big, and it's got great resources, and uh, uh, 30% of the population are now evangelical Christians, uh, 60% uh, Catholic, and 10% others. So it has a large uh, and growing population of evangelicals, and and, uh, we're happy to have some of our our books in use down there and to be able to speak to uh, many of the leaders when we were there. Wow, that's that's a great thing to see people learning so all over than the that, world. Yeah, oh, it is. Uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, God is doing greater things, uh, unfortunately, for the United States, fortunately for the world, uh, elsewhere right. in the world. You know, you think of China and and Brazil and uh, many of these places, but uh, he he's working, and uh, he promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, and uh, and they're not. Mm-hmm. The church is growing all over. Wow. So you've been so you went to Brazil and you're doing Yeah, that's how we uh, started the year. Then I've been crisscrossing the country, speaking at apologetics conferences, teaching courses at Veritas Evangelical uh, Seminary in California, which is the second uh, seminary uh, you mentioned that I had uh, started. By the way, since I retired, I moved to Charlotte to retire and uh, mm-hmm. started the Southern Evangelical Seminary. And then I retired from that, and one of the graduates from there said, <laughs> Helped me start a seminary in California, so this is the second seminary I've helped start since I retired. Yeah, I don't think you quite know what the word retirement means, Dr. Geisler. <laughs> well, I, what, what the other you? exciting thing that happened to me this year was that uh, uh-huh. I turned 80, uh, and uh, uh, I'm in good health and uh, strength. And uh, somebody said, "How old do you feel?" I said, "55." Uh, so Great. I feel 55, and uh, I'm 80, and I turned uh, when I turned 80, I, by my 80th birthday, I had just finished my 80th book. Wow. Wow. What a coincidence. So praise, praise the Lord for that, especially since uh, I didn't know how to read when I got saved, so I, that's, that's, uh, I not only learned how to read, I learned how to write. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, tell us about how you how you came to know the Lord. How did you how exactly did you get saved and, and get into a politics? Well, that's two questions. The first one, um, how did I get saved? I came from a non Christian family. My parents were anti religious. My father an ex Roman Catholic, my mother an ex Lutheran. They hated the church because of the bad experience they had. My favorite uncle was an atheist, uh, who uh, did more praying than most Christians because he was always using God's name. Uh, unfortunately, in vain. But he uh, he was, and uh, that was my uh, upbringing till I was nine. I went to a church first time was a funeral, and I saw a picture of Jesus on the wall, and I asked my mother if it was Santa Claus. I didn't know the difference between Santa Claus and Jesus at age nine. Shortly thereafter, a little a uh, little uh, community church, a Bible uh, church, picked me up on their Sunday school bus, uh, took me to vacation Bible school and then to Sunday school and I figured out they picked me up for the next 400 Sundays 50 Sundays a year for 8 years until at age 17 I committed my life to Christ so I was so convicted I was either going to slide off into hell uh, out of conviction or I was going to get saved and so um, February 12th 1950 I committed my life to uh, Christ and uh, 
uh, it's been a, uh, a whirlwind uh, since. You know, immediately the uh, people who led me to the Lord uh, discipled me. They took me out witnessing. Monday night we would go uh, door to door witnessing. Tuesday night was street meetings. Wednesday was prayer meeting. Thursday was jail service. I actually met my wife in jail. She was playing the organ, and I was uh, preaching, but I met her in jail. And uh, then the Friday was city rescue mission, and Saturday was Youth for Christ, and Sunday was church. So I, I didn't know you had time to backslide as a Christian. I thought you just had to serve the Lord all the time. Uh, and I'm standing on uh, the streets in Detroit, where I'm from, what we called Skid Row. We call it Ghetto now. And... Uh, Somebody walked up to me, had my Bible, and um, I'm witnessing, and he said, uh, you're not supposed to be doing that. And I said, doing what? He said, telling people about Jesus. And he grabbed my Bible, and he said, I'm a graduate of Moody Insta Bible Toot. He was, he was <laughs> half drunk, uh, if not all drunk. And he said, I'm a graduate of Moody Insta Bible Toot, and it says right here in the Bible, and he flipped my Bible open, put his finger on a page of the red-letter edition of Jesus' words, and he said, read that. And I looked at it and said, uh, Jesus said, go and tell no man. Now he said, get out of here. Jesus doesn't want you to do this. And I had no idea what that verse meant. And I'd already been tied in knots by Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And now a drunk stumped me with my own Bible. And I figured I'm either going to have to get answers or I'm going to have to stop witnessing. So I dedicated my life to getting answers. Wow. And here you are today. So that's the answer to both your questions, how I got saved and how I got involved in apologetics. Immediately after that, someone told me about a a Bible course through the mail, Emmaus Bible College. I didn't have any money. I prayed, uh, Lord, if you want me to uh, serve you, I need $4 to buy this course. And the next uh, day, my uh, old boss called me from the farm and said, can you work Saturday? And I made $4. And uh, got the course. Shortly after that, I heard about a Bible college, Detroit Bible College at the time. And uh, so I don't even remember praying or making uh, the decision. It was just a natural thing. You know, you're a Christian. The Bible is God's word. You need to know more. So I just said, let's go to Bible college. And then I spent the next five years in Bible college and uh, learning the Bible day and night. The best part of my education, uh, of my 20-year education. I uh, went 15 more years and got two bachelors, two masters, and a, and a PhD, which means phenomenally dumb. I figured I could qualify for that. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been uh, using it ever since to uh, defend the faith, once for all committed to the saints. Amen. Well, we're definitely um, blessed that I'm glad that the Lord called you to this work and um, for what he's done with your life. And Dr. Geiser, in, all, in, in terms of your past and what you're seeing now, um, as you traveled and spoken so many different places and continue to speak and continue to teach, um, and are you are you seeing more of an openness um, and acceptance of apologetics uh, within the Christian community now, or what what type of trends are you seeing um, across the board? Well, well, I was saved in 1950. At that time, there wasn't. Uh, any apologetics uh, books written by contemporary American apologists. The only ones we had were the used ones. Even C.S. Lewis books weren't yet uh, known, except maybe the children's uh, 
series and Narnia series, and so there was nothing. I mean nothing. Uh, now we've got, you know, I started the Evangelical Philosophical Association. I've started the Evangelical Society for Christian Apologetics. We literally have hundreds, thousands of people in, in apologetics all over the country and the world and hundreds and hundreds of books. Uh, so in my lifetime, it's been incredible because it's gone from nothing to what we uh, have today, which is, uh, which is amazing. So, yes, uh, is the answer to that question. It's amazing that, you know, God really used you to kind of pave the way for that. I mean, now you can you can find almost any kind of book on apologetics you want and all kinds of societies. It's just amazing how awesome God is, you know, that uh, takes somebody in, in, in their weakness um, and just changes them around. Because I remember you saying, you know, he took a kid who, who didn't even know how to read and turned yeah. you into a scholar. I I am what I am by the grace of God, as Paul said, and that's true. When I was saved, I really didn't know how to read. Uh, they found that out in the 11th grade. They gave us a test. I was kicked out of literature class because the teacher asked me how the tale of two cities ended, and I said with a period, and she had no sense of humor, so the period ended for me. Uh, that was That was kind of my uh, career. Didn't know how to read, and God saved me, and he said, I'm going to make you a scholar, and I've I felt like uh, Sarah in the tent, you know, laughing. Uh, you're going to make me a scholar. I don't, even, I don't even know how to read, so how are you going to do that, you know? Wow. So it took a while. Uh, I was just raw material, but God does pretty well with raw material. He took a handful of mud and made Adam, so, you know, mm-hmm. he can take anything you give him. Yeah. Uh, a few minutes left, Dr. Geiser, and I just wanted just to ask one or two questions. Um, sure. Just to give those people who maybe are not familiar with apologetics, um, those who maybe run into a skeptic and uh, the skeptic asks, how do they know God exists? What, what would you say to something like that if, if, uh, if you were asked that on the street? Well, I try and give simple answers out there every Every design has a designer. I would say to him, look, if I took you in a uh, university and there was a model universe there with all the planets in orbit and everything, and I told you that that happened by chance, it was just the wind blowing down the hallway, dumped over some garbage, and it all took place, you wouldn't believe me. Well, if a little simple model universe took an intelligent being, how about the real one? You know? uh, or I would say, uh, if you found uh, a, a book... Uh, you don't know where it came from, and uh, you look at it, and uh, you, you start reading it, and uh, it's telling you certain things, and you understand what it's saying. Would you know that there was a uh, author somewhere, even though you didn't meet him, you didn't know what his name was? Uh, could you know? Well, yes, because of the organization of the letters and the meaning uh, and the specified complexity there. Well, the same thing is true of uh, the DNA, uh, the, same th- the same language, the same... Uh, word order, the same letter order in the DNA, except that there are like a thousand sets of an encyclopedia in one in a one-cell animal. Well, if it takes a, a thousand sets in a mic in, in a, a little amoeba, uh, how much more uh, the entire uh, uh, human uh, body, for example, uh, would take an intelligent being? So we just have to point to simple, intelligible things that people can. Uh, Use and uh, sometimes also uh, science has now shown that the universe had had a beginning. It's called the Big Bang, 
which can't have a beginning without a beginner. Everything that comes to be has a cause, so there must have been a cause of the universe. All of these are, those are called the teleological and cosmological arguments, but they're powerful arguments for the existence of God. Yeah, you know, I have one of your uh, one of your CDs. Um, our good friend Mike Jackson, who used to work with you there, gave me one of your CDs, and it's got like 25 hours uh, of your debates that you've done um, with numerous uh, numerous people. And uh, so we'll have to we'll have to have to put that link up there for people who wanna who want to see this in action against that, you know, people that, uh, that really don't believe. I mean, it's uh, your, your debates are just fascinating, listening to them. Well, they are, and, you know, it was a David and Goliath thing, too. I mean, I was uh, David. I just had a few small rounded stones, and uh, we have all these giants out there. And uh, the first debate I went to, a friend of mine said to me, remember two things. Uh, first of all, uh, the battle is the Lord's, which I always remembered. And secondly... It's not fair to debate an atheist because God is on your side. So I remember both of those things going into the debates. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of debates, Dr. Geisler, and those who um, obviously are, are not Christians um, that you've debated, what do you see um, in terms of the new atheism movement? Why do you think that that's so, um, or, or gaining ground, um, I would say, um, what are some of the, the characteristics that you're seeing amongst this new atheism movement? Well, it's gaining ground because there's ground to be gained. You know, there's fertile soil out there. Uh, we've we've lived through now a couple of generations uh, of uh, anti-God, anti-Christianity, secular uh, humanism in our schools and everything. So the soil has been uh, fertile. We've been uh, propagandized with uh, evolution, which is the great tool. Uh, it's been taught in our universities, taught in our uh, museums, and so uh, the soil is ready for uh, more atheism and uh, the lifestyle of people who went through the uh, revolution of the uh, the moral revolution of the 60s and 70s. Uh, there is no moral law, and therefore no moral lawgiver. And uh, people put two and two together, and uh, mm-hmm. atheism is on the rise today in, in the world, and uh, Christianity is now taking a defensive uh, position because uh, of uh, the two generations we lost. Wow. Mm. And the, yeah, the yeah. only difference between the new atheists and the old, or the main difference is that they're louder and more shrill, uh, and mm-hmm. they're, more, they're more anti-God and anti-religion. Uh, the other atheists were, were more rational, and you could uh, reason, uh uh, with them, uh, these people are more emotional. Uh, they're more religion has uh, done no good for mankind. It's the evil. It's the cause of all all wars and all evil in the world. And uh, so they're they're stressing more uh, evil and evil of uh, religion. Uh, the old atheists used to stress, uh, you know, the arguments, the scientific and rational arguments against God, um, and we could easily answer them. Now the these people are more ad hominem than they are intellectual, and uh, and a lot of them have a, a British accent to go with it to make it sound more uh, uh, persuasive. On top of that, yeah, you know, I, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, the new atheism kind of started with the Dawkins and Hitchens and that, 
You know, um, it was probably six months ago I was listening to uh, the debate between Walter Martin and Madeline Murray O'Hare. And, you know, she just sounded like the female version of Christopher Hitchens. Uh, right. You know, she, she type of, of attacks. She was the beginning of the new atheists, really. She was just uh, born out of due season. Uh, as a matter of fact, there were atheists I would debate, and there were atheists I wouldn't debate. I refused to debate Madeleine Muriel here because there's a difference between a fool and an atheist. Uh, the fool has said in his heart there is no God, and a fool, the Bible says, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like unto him. And she was a fool, and she made you look foolish, she made Christianity look foolish, and the only way you could debate her was to make yourself look foolish. And uh, right. so it was a no no win situation. Uh, so I would refuse. I would uh, I would debate generally PhDs in philosophy in a university context where they're more obligated to uh, uh, present an intellectual case, which they don't have a good one for, and uh, to do it in a non emotive and logical way. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if anyone does not have Dr. Geyser's book um, that he wrote with Frank Turek, um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, you have to get that book. Um, it's a book that we always give out. We always have extra copies on hand, and we give them to people, to Christians, to non-Christians, um, and it, it definitely presents, um, in my opinion, just one of the strongest cases for Christianity today, it's one of the best works out there. So I encourage people to definitely grab that if you don't have it. By the way, we got a source now. It's very inexpensive. I ha- I started a uh, an ebook publishing company, Bastion okay. Books B B A S T I O N bastionbooks.com, and you can get books for fifty cents, a dollar, two dollars. Well, we're putting our our books, all of them that we can get, onto uh, electronic form, and they're ma- available uh, at uh, bastionbooks.com. Wow, we will put a link up. Uh, yeah, um, please do. B a s t i o n books dot com. We've got uh, six or eight of them up there now, and they're being, uh, people are beginning to become aware of them. We're making them very inexpensive, so everybody can uh, afford them. So, among the books are two volumes on the history of philosophy. By the way. Volume 1, Ancient and Medieval, and Volume 2, Modern and Contemporary, the whole history of thought. And uh, you can get uh, one one volume is 300 pages, the other is 400 pages, and uh, uh, you can get the, the uh, ancient one for, for uh, $7, which is, uh, it would normally cost about $50 a book that yeah. size. That's right. Uh, maybe you could talk to you a little bit about how you, you, uh, you know, you have that, Four-volume systematic theology, which I which I have and use it almost every day. But you you guys recently shrunk that down <clears throat> into one volume, right? Absolutely. I just got the record of how, how many it sold. It's selling very very well. It's uh, it's just uh, been out and it's selling uh, as well as the other one because it's all four in one. All that's missing is the historical uh, sections, the quotes from the. Fathers, everything else biblically, theologically is there. It's uh, 1,606 pages, I believe, uh, all in one volume. 
That's great, Dr. Geiser. And I think it's great that you have this website now making these resources available to those um, who maybe could not afford um, the other uh, resources in, in hard print. I mean, that, that just shows your heart to get the truth out and to help people in their um, you know, their, their efforts to defend their faith. Because, you know, not everyone obviously can go to seminary or, you know, take time off to do that. But it's just great to see people equipped. And thank you for providing that for people like me um, who well, need those resources. Well, you're welcome. And uh, thank you for uh, doing this uh, program and getting the word out and uh, and uh, spending uh, your lives uh, dedicating uh, them to uh, defending the faith. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Geiser, someone had a question in our chat room for you, and they wanted to know, um, who are your heroes of the faith? Because many consider you as one of the heroes of the faith. My heroes of the faith in the uh, uh, ancient and medieval world are, of course, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, of 1224, 1274, the greatest Christian thinker of all time. And uh, in the 20th century, it would be C.S. Lewis and, uh, of course, Francis Schaeffer, both of whom got people interested in philosophy and, uh, and apologetics uh, and uh, who uh, said things. I think uh, C.S. Lewis said things in such a succinct and popular and powerful way that he's the most quotable of all of the modern uh, apologists. Yeah, you hear him quoted more than anybody. <laughs> um, let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, we're talking with, uh, you know, about atheism and that, and you've written so many good books. I think I have all of them. Um, the attack I, on the I don't Bible. think he's exaggerating, sir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Uh, yeah, we're trying to make room for, trying to make room for our baby right now, and we're trying to um, get our books in order and, and separated and out of the way, and it's becoming impossible. So, <laughs> so when is the uh, big day? Well, she's coming March fourth. That's that, that's March the 4th. day she's supposed to be here. Yeah. Wonderful. My wife uh, told me to be sure and ask that question. So March fourth. Yeah, well, congratulations and great news, and yeah. that will that will change your world immediately. Yes, <laughs> already much, very much so. <laughs> we had six of them, so uh, and we have fifteen grandchildren and three great grandchildren. It's a great blessing from the Lord. It is definitely, definitely is. Let me ask you this last question, real, real quick, Doctor Guys, and we'll let you go. I know you're busy. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Bible too, because um, you kind of gave us a little bit of how we know um, God exists. But after we say that, after we kind of you know, argue for the existence of God, of course the next attack is going to come on, on the reliability of the Bible. Um, how do you answer those those questions when people ask, how do you know that the Bible is the word of God? Well, first of all, uh, we know the Bible is reliable, uh, and that's the important step in the argument because we have more manuscripts, earlier manuscripts, better copied manuscripts than any event from the ancient world. We know it's reliable because we have more witnesses, earlier uh, witnesses, and more confirmed witnesses than any book from the ancient world. Now, once we know the Bible is reliable historically, we can ask uh, who's the chief figure. Of course, uh, Christ is the chief figure. He claimed to be, and he proved to be, the Son of God. He claimed to be uh, God in the flesh, and he proved to be by fulfilling prophecies, living a sinless, miraculous life, and rising from predicting and rising from the dead. 
No one ever did this besides him. No religious leader ever claimed to be God and proved to be God. Therefore, Jesus is God. And Jesus said the Bible is not just reliable, it's actually the Word of God. It's the, it's the written Word of God without uh, error in the original uh, manuscript. So uh, we have a powerful argument for the historicity of the Bible, and then uh, that argument shows us that Jesus claimed to be and proved to be the Son of God, and of course that's the heart of Christianity. Uh, once you're there, uh, you've demonstrated that uh, Christianity is true, uh, and if Christianity is true, then everything that opposes it is false. Amen. That's how you do it, folks, right there. That's what uh, time and, and studying, and that's, you know, that's, that's what we want, want you know, for you guys to be able to do is, is not come back with the answer of, well, you know, I have faith or something like that. You know, there are, as you see, there are really good reasons to believe that God exists, and there's good reasons to believe uh, that, that the Bible is his word. And it just takes some time to study and dedicate yourself, but, man, it's, it'll pay off. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. Uh, the evidence is on our side. The Bible says, set forth your case, defend the faith, contend for the faith. Uh, I'm set in defense of the gospel. and uh, So it's not an option, it's a command for Christians. Amen. So keep uh, keep up the good work, and uh, yeah, we're give us the good yeah. news when the when the uh, baby comes. We will do. Thanks again for coming on and, and giving of your time. We definitely thanks for having it. me. God bless you. Have a great Thank Christmas. Thank you so much, Dr. Heisler. Uh-huh. Prayers for you and all your travels and all your work. God bless you. Thank thanks. you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. All right. What a awesome interview. That, that was. I mean, it's uh, hard to put into word, but words, folks. You know the impact. You know, Doctor Geisler's work has had in my life. I mean, I have, I have. It has shaped my whole, you know, um, apologetical method, um, apologetics, kind of my theology. So I just, uh, man, what a blessing it is to be able to, uh, you know, to talk with him and just. Uh, just, you know, you see that there are so, you know, such good answers. You know, it must have mm-hmm. been must have been hard, you know, to live back in the 50s. I, I remember reading some stuff by Henry Morris, and he was saying, you know, because really his, his stuff, uh, the Genesis flood that came out in, like, 1961, I was, like, really one of the first apologetic books. And they were saying, you know, we just didn't have anything. You know, and uh, that must have been hard because, you know, the atheists uh, and that sure had their stuff and their books and, and that that people could go to. So mm-hmm. we the yeah. time and that's, where we are. We are. And, you know, one of the things um, I know that Devin and I have noticed just from sitting in Dr. Geyser's classes and just from being around him is everything for him really starts with the love for God's word. So, yes, he is very academic. He's a philosopher. He's a theologian. He's an apologist. He's, you know, very accomplished in the in the world of academics. Um, but he loves God's word. 
and you can see it in his discussions with people, um, in his discussions with non-believers. You can see it in his debates how he'll just pull scriptures out of his just out of his head from out from the old to the New Testament, from anywhere in the Bible. He will pull scriptures um, when he's discussing theological issues because he's really he really does spend time in God's Word and he loves God loves God's Word and it's the foundation for everything that he does um, is a love for the Lord. So that's one of the yeah, things what? that really convicted us whenever we were around him. It's just about gaining a deeper love and knowledge of the scriptures um, and not just studying just to um, prove ourselves scholarly enough, but really, you know, having a love for, for truth and for God's word. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I mean, it's it's what what you see with Dr. Geisler is what you get. He's mm-hmm. not uh, definitely not a fake or a phony guy, so blessed to have him on. So with that being said, my love, I think yes. we need to take a little break before we come back with our other special guest who we cannot wait to jump into this topic as well and uh, excited right. to finally get to spend some time and and talk with this brother because it's you know we've known each other on Facebook and uh, it'd be nice to be able to talk with him for a bit so with that being said I guess uh, we'll go ahead and go to break and then when we come back we will we will uh, go into our next phase of the show
an awesome song. Love Christmas time because I love those, you know, those Christmas, those Christmas songs. You know, it's uh, such an awesome, awesome time of the year. You know, I'm I'm um, uh, taking my little nephews who are five and two, uh, going through the Book of Luke, and uh, we're going through uh, been going through the birth of Jesus, and uh, it's been really neat. You know, they've uh, Especially, you know, the five-year-old. The two-year-old, he, uh, I'm sure he's fascinated, but he doesn't say a whole lot. But the five-year-old, mm-hmm. I mean, he gets it. He really enjoys uh, studying that. And, um, you know, just talking about how what it must have been like, you know, to be out there, you know, with the, you know, the night that uh, the Christ was born. I mean, it just must have just been, been absolutely incredible. Amen. I love that song, too. Uh, in Excelsis Deo, meaning glory to God in the highest. And there's nothing more that we can do than to give God glory. And that's what this whole time is about, is about him. Not about us and our busy schedules and getting wonderful things and seeing people. Um, that's all great. But the best thing we can do with this time that God has given us and with each and every day, it's just to give him glory. And, um, and you know, God will just do wonderful things um, with our lives when we do that. And um, and he will just make himself known. That's it. You know, um, I remember, you know, talking with Dr. Guys, where I remember, um, I think we were going through a tough time. Somebody had died, somebody that we had loved had passed away. And I remember him him telling me because he had he had lost uh, some loved ones too. But I remember him telling me um, he would just go through the hymns at night and he would repeat them. You know, God is. He said he would wake up in the middle of the night and he, God is good, God is light. You know, and just he would go through the attributes of God. And um, I bring that up because as you know, Melissa says the reason we exist is to glorify Christ. And I think of that song. Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I um, can't remember exactly how the words go um, now, but, uh, you know, everything... The things, of hey, this world go, the things of this world will go strangely down? That's right. That's right, in the light of his glory and grace. And that's how it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Keep our eyes off ourselves. I love that I've been memorizing some scripture and... Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3 has always been, Colossians one of the most amazing books in the Bible, but Colossians 3, you know, therefore, if, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep on seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, you know, for, for you know, you're, you're his, and, and our life is hid, hidden with Christ in God. I mean, just mm-hmm. incredible, you know, keep our minds on on the things above, uh, and it will affect how we act on, you know, things below. Amen. So, with that said, we need to get to our uh, to our guest, Melissa. I will let you introduce our dear brother. I will. I'm very glad to do that. Um, we have with us Mike Koslinski, and Mike um, lives in the mountains of North Carolina with his family. 
and he is a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary. He received a Master's in Apologetics, and he is also currently working on a Master's of Divinity at Southeastern Theological um, or Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary um, in Biblical Counseling and Ministry Leadership. And um, again, the topic that we're going to talk with him about is very fascinating and interesting, and um, you'll see how his counseling, apologetics, and all his training kind of uh, works together in, in his counseling ministry. So we're really excited um, to have Mike Kuslinski on the line with us. Mike, you there? I am. Hey, brother. Hello. Nice to hear your voice, man. Yeah, I think we can get you okay. Am I coming through okay? Yeah, I'm hearing you fine. Okay, good. Nice to have you on the show, man. That's uh, nice to finally be able to get to talk with you. Yes, I'm very uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Sorry no problem. We're sorry to have you follow Dr. Geisler. That wasn't intentional. <laughs> um, so we know that can be a little nerve-wracking, but glad that she agreed to come on the show with us today. Yeah, um, I'm definitely uh, avoiding the temptation to consider him the undercard. And so uh, <laughs> he's definitely the, uh, the headliner. I went first today, but um, that's fine. <laughs> that's, one, that's one way to look at it, you know? <laughs> Exactly. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mike. Uh, tell us some some interesting, fun, fun things, and tell us about your wife and kids. Wow, um, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, a show the, uh, <laughs> what's that? Is that a whole show in itself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guys, been working uh, very interestingly and wonderfully in our lives for the last several years. Um, but uh, to give you a, a brief uh, snapshot. Um, I was raised in, um, in a home that was uh, church-going, um, but there was not any sense of um, a genuine uh, understanding of, of who God was or what it means to be saved or the role of the Bible in our lives. Um, and so uh, so we did that. It was uh, high churches, like um, Anglican, Episcopal kinds of churches. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was very much a cultural experience. Um, and then it really wasn't until I was actually in my um, undergraduate, which was at UNC Asheville, um, that uh, actually I think I even heard the gospel truly for the first time, and uh, I was not uh, eager to receive it early on. Um, but then uh, in the start of my sophomore year, um, God broke through, as he's often to do, and, uh, you know, opened my eyes to who he was and what it meant to be to be his. Um, and, in, and in him, found, you know, salvation and in new life. Um, <clears throat> so that was in 1997, and it's about 15 plus years since then. Um, he's really uh, taught, you know, growing me up um, and giving me some different things that I've been passionate about, um, apologetics being one of those, um, through just mm-hmm. encountering um, different uh, competitors to the Christian faith um, and, and trying to understand, you know, make heads or tails out of all of it. Um, and so, uh, so quite providentially, but accidentally from my standpoint, I discovered a Southern Evangelical Seminary um, my senior year in college. And uh, by then I was already planning on going into um, counseling. Um, but I also had this interest in apologetics, and so I decided to, uh, since I was still only a few years old in the faith, to go and, and basically get grounded uh, in my faith and to uh, really try to establish a foundation upon which a counseling ministry could uh, could grow. 
Um, and so, uh, so that's what I did after um, I graduated. Um, Miss D, uh, my wife, and I got married. We were obviously married before we got married. But once we got married, we became husband and wife and um, went to uh, Charlotte um, and, and went to SES from 2001 to 2006. And, mm-hmm. um, and so um, got my MA in apologetics. MA in apologetics. And then uh, we uh, decided to move up back to the mountains. We had a couple of kids by then. Um, our uh, first child was actually miscarried. Um, and then uh, we had our firstborn child, Seth. And then Luke was born a year and a half later. Uh, we moved up to the mountains in 2006. And uh, I had begun a counseling program at Gordon-Conwell and learned to uh, take some counseling classes there. And uh, I, I've been working in mental health basically since uh, I got out of college, I'm an undergrad. And so uh, mm-hmm. over the years, I've got um, a lot of experience in mental health work, uh, understanding um, that side of things and had some graduate level work there. Um, and then uh, and wanting to really understand how do you bring, um, you know, a sound theology alongside, you know, psychology, um, and, uh, you know, working with people, um, you know, oftentimes they're very badly hurting, and, uh, and then being able to help them. Um, and so uh, I actually got some, some individualized training in, in a discipleship counseling model um, that I've been, um, now then began, started, actually started a counseling ministry using um, here, here in the last year. And so, uh, so I have been bringing the mental health uh, the uh, the apologetics, you know, sound theology, and you know, uh, emphasis on discipleship into a a counseling ministry that so far God has really has really blessed. And so we also had two two more children born. Uh, Zach is our one year old, and Abigail is almost four. So we have four born children, and uh, and my wife is a uh, very very wonderful, beautiful, and godly. I'm very thankful for her and for our kids. And so uh, so God has um, definitely um, blessed me very much with them. You do have a, a great family, and I know Missy's listening in, so hey, Misty, <laughs> um, and a very supportive family. That makes such a huge huge difference in ministry, so you're very, very that blessed. That I am. All righty. Well, let's, let's kind of get into some of this, because I'm, I'm very, very interested in this topic, and have re- I've really been listen, uh, looking forward to this discussion. Um, let's just start by looking at... Um, uh, counseling in terms of discipleship. I know that you um, you use that term terminology in terms of your approach. It's kind of can you kind of explain what that's all about? Sure. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot lot to that. Um, but the, the gist of the idea is that um, I believe that God Himself is um, primary, um, not only ontologically. Um, in, in, but in terms of our our lives, and so I believe that um, you know, with creation reflecting Him and His uh, you know reflects His glory um, and his, uh, his His attributes, that He's created the world to be in such a way that when we live in a, in a way that is uh, in accordance with His design, you know, that's when things generally go better. I think like the Book of Proverbs kind of lays out a lot of those kinds of ideas. You know, when you walk, live in accordance with design, things work better. And we know that intuitively uh, with, uh, with things that we have um, to use. You know, for instance, um, I, I water plants. I don't water my computer because then the computer dies. And, you know, and so you, you use things as how they're made to be used. Um, and so 
you know, we, we, we plant in spring, we harvest in fall. We don't harvest in spring and plant in fall. Uh, you know, there's, there's a design to things. And so when we live in, a, in accordance with that, we see the fruit of it. Um, and I think that God, um, you know, even beyond that or in addition to that or at the basis of that, is that God has made us for himself. And so that when we live in accordance where we find, um, where we worship him, and not just in the sense of the Sunday morning kind of thing, but when worship is the, the word that kind of describes our life, our lifestyle, our relationship with him, then he begins to order the rest of our lives accordingly. Um, in terms mm. And so, um, so I think that's where uh, when people are hurting, I think there tends to be things that are, are there's, there's breakdowns there. And so you try to help, you know, according to how God has designed things, help people to find in him and in his person first and in his ways second, um, you know, basically genuine transformation and healing. That's my way of overview. That is really, really neat. Um, That's definitely a different approach than what we see um, in terms of a lot of your um, secular counseling um, programs, which the focus is on um, fulfilling ourselves in a way that does not um, include God in any way or, wor- you know, any form of worship to God, but really, really focus on us. And I know that we'll get into that. But how does that differ from what you see in terms of a lot of, how does this discipleship approach uh, differ uh, from what you see in a lot of secular counseling situations? Yeah, I think there's two main things that drive uh, the secular approach, and, and there's some value in it. I don't think it, because I guess it's it's all bad. Um, the uh, there's I think that as far as um, counseling itself, it's, it's an, um, based on mental health diagnoses, um, and so the mental health diagnoses are built upon the symptoms. It's like symptom clusters essentially. So if someone is um, you know has a, a challenge, a problem of some sort, they'll come and and you know talk with a counselor, and the counselor will usually try to help sort out what what symptom of you know, cluster of symptoms is going on with this person, so I can helpfully identify and give it a diagnosis. And having a diagnosis, then I can actually treat the problem. It's built on a medical model. So if I go to the doctor and I have, you know, um, my, my arm is hurting, you know, he'll begin to try to sort out based on the symptoms associated with the pain of my arm, you know, what's wrong with my arm, is it broken, is it strained, you know, so that he can then know what to do about it, you know. So having a symptoms-based approach isn't, you know, wrong as such, but I think it's limited um, because it's focusing on the symptoms themselves, and those things I think are oftentimes um, most like the light coming on of the car that's sitting in the engine, but something's not right there. And so, so as a result, I think it can oftentimes be very focused on trying to fix the problem as it manifests, what's called a presenting problem, when oftentimes mm-hmm. there's a lot more going on beneath the surface that if we sort out root issues, then the fruits kind of take care of themselves. Um, mm. And so, uh, so the other part of it is what I would call consumerism. You know, it's basically what, what people want, you know. And so if I come to a counselor and I'm wanting some act outcome or, you know, something to happen in my life, you know, they're there to help me achieve that. Um, and so there isn't a lot of... Um, you know, by almost by rule, discernment within the counseling community. If you have symptoms towards a diagnosis, well, that means I can, I can build insurance under a diagnostic code, and I'm also going to try to help you achieve your own desires. Um, you know, 
So that's what counselors try to do. Um, and so what, what the discipleship approach is, is that sometimes people, what they really want or what they say they want um, is, uh, you know, fits within a larger understanding of things. And so, for instance, like, if, you know, like the big thing today everyone wants, you know, happiness. And so uh, and happiness through something, you know, but Jesus describes happiness, you know, in terms of beatitudes about these kinds of things that are some circumstances that people might not necessarily want. But if we understood those in a spiritual context, in a biblical context, we can actually discover that, you know, if we're broken in spirit, we can actually find, you know, that, you know, God is the solution for our needs. And as we find Him as the solution for our needs, then, then happiness or, or really more joy you know, comes out of that. And so um, that would be that'd be one of the key differences. And I guess too, there's a radical, a radically different understanding of, of the human nature compared to you know, your Dr. Phil, and uh, I guess in, in the biblical worldview. So of course the way we, I guess you would treat or, or counsel with people is going to be a lot different than. Um, you know, way a lot of the, the secular um, counselors are going to, right? Yes, because, you know, what I'm doing is, um, A, I'm not building insurance, and so I'm not essentially seeking, a, you know, to give a, a diagnosis um, based on a symptom cluster. Um, what I'm looking to do is help understand, you know, what is going on in the person's life um, now as well as historically, you know, and to try to understand, you know, a, a larger or almost like a puzzle or a picture of, of what is going on, you know, how is what's happening in their lives now, the choices that they're making, um, the challenges that they're having, has this fit into, you know, the, the sequence of events of their lives up to this point, not only in terms of events, but also in terms of beliefs. And so you see, once you kind of take a step back and look at the big picture, um, then you're able to see how... Um, you know, how did we get here? Um, and, and knowing that within a biblical context of understanding, you know, who God is, how has he designed people, how, you know, to, to live and to relate and to exist as spiritual beings um, or spirit slash, you know, physical, immaterial, you know, combination of bodies, um, spirit people. And so uh, having those, understanding what those issues are supposed to look like, then you can begin to sort out where are the breakdowns. And, and, and helping to address it from that standpoint as opposed to, you know, looking at this particular issue. And, yes, I was harmed in this way, therefore I have some trauma, and as a result I have some anxiety. Therefore I can help the person cope with the anxiety, which is, you know, is more of a surface-level kind of thing, as important as that is. You know, it, it can, if I can hit on the, the deeper-level issue, then I can discover in the Lord how I can truly, you know, trust him in in the area of, Anxiety or, right. or find something in the area of trauma. So, uh, so I think it goes goes deeper and takes a broader takes a broader picture. Hmm. That's really really interesting. Um, in terms of uh, theology proper and just the nature of God, I know that you try to incorporate, um, in some senses, the, the attributes of God. Um, in in terms of knowing who God is as a foundation for your counseling method. Um. I mean, maybe we can talk about some of the attributes of God. Um, we actually, we've done um, some shows covering some before, but um, it's been a while. And so it would be good to maybe talk about some of these attributes of God, just knowing who he is and how that 
has an effect on us in, in understanding those and what and may, you know, throw our lives off whack if we don't have a true understanding of these certain attributes. Let me let me, um, let me give the number too. Um if anybody's calling and, and they're wanting to uh to call in and have maybe some questions on this issue, uh, I'm sure Mike wouldn't mind uh answering some of your phone calls. So if you have any questions uh, of course, 760-542-3907, Feel free to feel free to call in, and I'm sure Mike would love to talk to you. So, sorry about that, brother. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'll let you let you get right back to your question there. Yeah. So, when it comes to God's attributes, you know, um, I think that you know, like Jesus talked about in, in um, John chapter four which is like, would be again, a classic example from a counseling standpoint. Because in John 4, we have the woman at the will, you know, and so if you can imagine her coming to counseling, you know, what's the problem? Well, the problem is this history of, um, you know, difficulty with men. You know, she's had a number of failed marriages, now she's living with a man that's not her husband, and so she has a lot of uh, shame, clearly, um, based on, you know, reading that passage. Um, and so, so I think the temptation would be to give her, you know, uh, tactics on how to, you know, have, help a marriage, you know, last or, or, you know, to be successful. And those tactics, however helpful, um, you know, get aren't aren't deep enough. And so, so what Jesus does is that, you know, he he calls out her larger issue, which is the issue of worship. Um, and so he confronts her um, on this, and and so she, you know, tries to get theological in terms of some of the questions she has. But he he, he kind of brushes through the, the smoke she's kind of blowing there and gets to the heart of the matter. And, and so then, you know, as she, uh, I think John implies it, doesn't say it explicitly, but I think as she responds to him genuinely, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, the true worshipers worshiping in, in spirit and truth. And so having, you know, an internal um, way of approaching, you know, who God is, who Jesus is, and doing it in the context of truth, and, when, and having our worship be like that, then, as as she discovered worship in Jesus, you know her her other situations, um, you know, are put in the right context. I think she then finds what she's really looking for that she thought that that men could provide her for them, or at least you know earthly men are supposed to, like the God man. But um, so we have you know the attributes of God, um, and you know, I mean there's lots of different directions to go with that in terms of His power, um, in terms of His knowledge, in terms of His wisdom, um, being light or, or in life. Um, and, uh, you know, but majestic and, and beauty and true and, you know, and so, you know, which, whichever those you go in, you know, you're finding this being who is, um, you know, has all these things infinitely, you know, without limitation. And so if I'm struggling, you know, in, in any given area and I'm needing, I'm needing something, I'm really needing somebody and knowing who God is and in that particular way is, you know, it can be a huge bring a huge breakthrough. Um, so if you take a common issue, um, which would be, let's say, lust or pornography, um, uh-huh. I think it's common for, uh, you know, for guys especially, but also for some ladies to, um, you know, there is a counterfeit going on with that, you know, and it's not just a counterfeit of, of a wife, you know. So, for instance, a lot of guys that are single that struggle with porn um, think that when they get married, you know, that, that issue is going to go away. Um, but then it doesn't. And, and the issue is, is because, you know, a counter, pornography isn't just counterfeiting 
a wife, I think he's also counterfeiting not only worship, but, but God's beauty. And so we can nourish our hearts on, on God's beauty. That will kind of, I know there's a lot more going on sometimes than that that needs to be addressed, but that's definitely, I think, at the core, you know, if you can nourish yourself on, on God's beauty uh, and have your heart satisfied in him in that way, that can alleviate a lot of the temptation of, um, of the pornographic issue. Hmm. Uh, that'd be that'd be an example. That's really really interesting. So, knowing who God is, um, can't does in a practical way, um, it does keep us from some of these um, faults in life, and some of these traps in life. I know that um, the attributes of God is something that's very near to Devon's in my heart. We're actually teaching that right now with our college ministry students, and so, because um, we see the struggles that they face, um, you know, growing up and in this world and all the temptations out there, so we've found that just really um, taking a step back and looking at who God is and learning about him and his glory um, and reflecting on those things really gives us a proper understanding of everything else, um, and and we ultimately find ultimate fulfillment in, in him, so that's kind of what you're, what you're kind of getting at, Mike. Yes, like the way I describe it is um, it's kind of simple, but it, you know, I'd say we all have needs, and we have um, needs that can met, be met in a primary way only in God, and then in a secondary way, you know, with other people. Um, and so, like to do the old, like the very basic ethical formula, you know, you worship God, you love people, and you use things. And if you misorder any of those, you're in trouble. And so, I think in a primary way. Only God can meet our primary needs, our, our human needs for, you know, love, for acceptance, for, for significant security. Any human thing that we try to utilize to meet those needs um, are ultimately going to let us down. Um, and some right. sooner, some, some later, um, some in less destructive ways, some more destructive ways. But inevitably, you know, and no, no worldly thing can satisfy our most basic needs like God can. And that's by his design, I believe. Um, and so, so we had to find our primary needs met in the primary being, which is God. And then once we have our needs met in Him, then we are suddenly filled. You know, we are full internally. You know, and so, in finding the fulfilling that we need in Him, then we're suddenly free to genuinely serve and love and care for others in a selfless way, as opposed to a selfish way. Because if I'm empty on the inside, however I might try to uh, make it look like I'm actually serving others, I'm still doing it ultimately to satisfy myself. And so it becomes manipulative and, and real subtle, uh, or sometimes not so mm. subtle. But it, it becomes self-directed. But if I am mm. being satisfied in the person of God, now I'm, I'm genuinely satisfied. Like I'm actually overflowing with living water. And now I'm able to genuinely care for others for their own sake. And so I mean, mm-hmm. it changes things around quite significantly. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's a really um, neat way to look at it. And, and something that all of us need to incorporate in our lives is being fulfilled in Christ, for Christ alone, and um, and that as a, as a foundation for our service and for everything that we do um, and knowing who he is. It's so foundational and it's so um, important. Um, in terms of man in anthropology and the design of man and how God made us, Mike, how would you say that the fall, um, because we know that um, God created man and then man 
sinned and um, we now have a fallen nature, um, we're sinful. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you you see counseling um, programs or shows or books, and the essential idea is that man is good and that there's this good in man that we must um, find, that we must dig to find, and that's going to actually free us. That's what we really need to, to, to find to free us from all the um, issues that are plaguing us. So how does this view of man differ um, in, in this approach, in the biblical approach to counseling? Right. Um, and so, so yeah, I think that, so I think if, you know, for the same point of the person that's not a believer, you know, um, you know, kind of what you hope to help them understand is, you know, that what, how they're living their lives not only is going to be, you know, whichever way they're, whatever they're coming to counseling for, uh, even if that issue gets resolved, it's still going to be ultimately unfulfilling. Um, and so, you know, whether it be a depression, a marital issue, a family issue, um, you know, getting anxiety or whatever, is knowing that even if you get that issue resolved, even if it's 100% better, you know, you're still going to be un- ultimately unfulfilled. And so you want them to come to understand that, again, only God can, can do that. So that would hopefully bring about a, a, the Holy Spirit would work through that. You know, and he would bring people to himself. Essentially, it would be a kind of evangelism through counseling, for lack of a better expression. Um, for those that are already believers, um, the issue then it becomes, you know, yes, we have our theology that we say we believe. You know, for, obviously we know a lot of people have trouble even articulating basic theology. But there's a lot of people that grew up in churches and church culture that learn the language. You know, they learn how to speak, you know, the Christian you know, the whole website, you know, stuff Christians say or whatever. Um, and so you have uh, this Christian subculture that we learn the right things to say, but then our lives don't always match up with that. And so that's where this way of understanding is no, not only do we have to say we are Christians, but to actually live like it. And so if God is truly our, you know, our, the one who meets our primary needs, the one who to whom we owe primary and ultimate Allegiance, the one who fills us, um, then is a matter of, of helping the person discover, you know, where is that not happening and how to to make that happen, um, and then to understand you know, everything else in context of that. Um, and so, so for the Christian, which is the most people that I see, because I do, you know, it's very open that I do Christian biblical counseling, and so most everyone that I see is you could already consider themselves Christians. So the the thing is to get a sense of like where where is this not happening at or in what ways um, and, and why, and then try to explore how how is it that God can come in now, and uh, and take His rightful place in their lives. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> good stuff. And Melissa, my throat is is killing me pretty bad, so I think I'm going to okay. need to sign off. Just been acting and coughing the whole time on mute, so uh, I'm going I'm to go ahead and sign off now, but I'll let you guys finish the, the interview. But uh, Good hearing from you, Mike, and uh, great job, man, and uh, I'll let you guys continue with the interview here. All right, thanks, Devin. Uh, good talking to you, and I hope your cough gets better. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. God bless you guys. Thank you, Mike, Devin. Yeah, he's been having some some issues all all week. So, 
Um, glad he was able to make it as long as he was. Um, uh, Mike, in terms of um, our the fall and how it affects us in our rebellion against God, um, it seems that because of this, our relationship is torn, that um, there's a sense in which we do self-destruct um, and we do live in self-destructive ways because God is not in the proper place in our lives. And a lot of times it's because of other sinful people and their actions in our lives, you know, who people who have hurt us. And that's always difficult to deal with and, and to explain to people that, you know, we're all sinful and that, yes, sinful people do hurt other people, you know, and that we all hurt other people in actuality. Um, how, do, how do we kind of get someone to to a restored place in Christ when they've been hurt by others, um, to understand that, you know, it's because of this fallenness in all of us that we all that we hurt one another. Right. So there's there's a sense in which, um, you know, we need to get, uh, analyze, you know, each person's individual story, and you say, yeah, but not only are they themselves in their in their pre-Christian lives um, identified primarily by their fallenness, and and so the so in all the ways in which that manifests itself. Um, and so, but yeah, we live in a world that's that's you know fallen and with other fallen people, and so most people understand their life story from the harms that have been done against them. Um, you know, primarily people tend to look to you know the ways which their parents did or did not do the things that parents are supposed to do. Oftentimes, it'd be others as well, whether it be other family members or people in schools, you know, bullies or um, you know just any hurtful thing that occurs. And so now, years later. Uh, you're, you're dealing with a person with, with you know, with omnipresent problems. And so helping to understand, um, you know, the impact the things that were done to them had on them. Um, and so there's a big part of which, you know, if I was um, mistreated by a parent, um, either through, you know, either through commission, something that's done to me, or something that wasn't done that should have been done. You know, and so when we are go through our hurtful things, when we go through anything really, we're constantly shaping um not only our behaviors, but our beliefs, and what we believe about who people are, the thing, you know, what people are like, who am I, uh, what am I supposed to do, what's my place in this world. And so um, there's a big thing, you know, in, in psychological circles, like around family system theory. And you have, you know, oftentimes, I think the classic ex- expression of it is you have the, uh, you know, if you have a sick, like a mentally ill, you know, parent, and then you have, like, another person in the family takes on the role of the enabler. You have the person takes on the role, like, among the children, you have, like, the hero, and you have the clown, and you have the lost child, um, and you have these different roles. And so people kind of take on that role and begin to identify, you know, who they are, how they see themselves. And so you have the, the hero, so to speak, and they're always constantly like, the, the achiever. And so they kind of find like a sense of identity in that. And, and so you want to help them to understand, you know, looking into their background, you know, the impact of their family on them, and not only what they do, but how, what they believe about themselves. And to kind of, so you kind of have to shed that. You have to choose to, you know, set that aside and to, you know, put on the new man. You know, set aside the old man, put on the new man. And it's like, no, my identity is not identified by my natural family, my say, my natural parents. My identity comes primarily through my new heavenly father and what he says about me. And so you have to make the choice to turn from an old way of doing things and, and, and step into the new the new identity and the new uh, the new way of living. Um, mm. And so, 
And so, so yeah, yeah. it's a matter of sorting through, um, you know, the number of efforts that have happened and what they've done with those, how they've impacted what they, how they think and feel and how they handle situations. Hmm. And combating those, those myths, um, oh, those feelings um, through God's word and what he has to say about who we really are. That's so important. Um, and even in terms of how we're designed, Mike, um, to know God, um, how does, in terms of getting back to that place where we are whole in him and where we see him as who he, he really is, um, how does that help to keep us grounded? Well, because, I mean, I think that's, that does keep us grounded. You know, if mm-hmm. we're going to approach life, you know, and all the things that we can encounter, you know, difficulty or even non-difficulty, even successes in, in family or at work, um, we, or, you know, we're constantly um, interpreting these things and, and, and believing things. And so, um, and, and so let's say let's say a good thing. Let's say you get a big promotion at work, and you get the big raise, um, and you, know, you get lots of pats on the back. You know, it feels good, and it should feel good. You know, there's nothing wrong with feeling good and having good things happen. Now, if I have been again to use my previous example, if I've always considered myself the hero out of my previous um, you know grow, growing up experience, then that might could very well have reinforced that way of thinking and believing about myself. That my my identity, my my importance in life is based on my performance at the job. Okay, and so um, that can very much reinforce that. However, if I can, uh, if I'm finding my needs met in God and find my identity in Him, then the big promotion is understood in context of of who I am in Him. And yes, this is a blessing, and this is also responsibility to honor Him in in the new job and with the increased funds He's given me. Um, and so one way of approaching it would lend itself unto pride and self-reliance. The other way of looking at it would lend itself to humility and God-reliance. Um, and so having having right understanding of who God is and who I am in Him then allows me to approach successes or, or difficulties from the right framework. Mm-hmm. And this transformation, when we're talking about salvation and what that really means, a lot of people we don't have an understanding of what it really means when God saves us and when he forgives our sins and makes us a new creature. Um, when he, what does that mean um, in terms of being conformed to the image of God? And how does that affect how we deal with these difficult issues in life and our past and um, our family issues and all these stressful things that bombard us every day? Can you say the question? I'm going to make sure I understood it right. Well, just how the transformation in terms of salvation, how does that really look in our lives in terms of helping us to deal with life and issues and hurts and um, just knowing Christ as Savior? What is that, um, This the whole the, just being saved and being secure in him, um, how does that change us to deal with our lives yeah. and our issues? Yeah, so I think this is where, again, most counseling comes about because people usually don't come because they've got promotions. People usually come because they're having difficulties. Um, And so I think that um, actually Tom Nelson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, um, the pastor at Dead Bible, um, he gave an illustration when I was in college. I heard him preach once. um, And he talked about our our inner selves, so to speak, um, as like a coat hanger and a coat hanger that's been misshapen by being forced into a 
in like a glass vase. You know, a glass vase is, you know, you tend not to be shaped like coat hangers. So you're going to get a coat hanger and a glass vase. You're going to have to misshape the coat hanger. Okay, so salvation is like breaking the glass vase. For the first time, this coat hanger has the opportunity of being reshaped into its original design. Um, and so uh, the process, if you're going to take a broken coat hanger and make it back in the way it's supposed to look like, you have to start, you know, straightening certain parts out that are crooked or reshaping the parts that are supposed to be curved. And that process is very, um, if, if a coat hanger were a sentient being, you know, it could be very um, difficult, you know, the process of being reshaped. And I think that is a huge um, importance in terms of understanding the difficulties um, are in our lives along those lines. If we know who God is and we know what he's after, which is our sanctification, he wants to turn us from beings who are under, defined by our rebellion and turn us into beings who are defined by our redemption. Um, and so we are, um, he is using all the events in our lives to bring this to pass. And some, um, and some are, are going to be pretty, pretty challenging, pretty tough. Um, and so we can, but we understand that's what his, that's what he's after. Um, in Romans, I think chapter eight, um, you know, people always love to quote um, how God, you know, allows um, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are calling to His purpose. You know, so people will pull out that verse like, "Wow, you know, whatever happens, we know God is causing to work together for good." Okay, but then later on, a few verses later. Actually, the next verse, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. And so if we understand verse 28 in light of verse 29, now we're understanding that these harmful, challenging, difficult things, whether it be with the spouse or with the children or with the job or with the in-laws or with uh, the economy or with politics or with, you know, you name your stressor in life, um, that God is using that thing and then how we, what we, how we think about it, how we respond to it, what we choose to do or not do, it, you know, he's, he's making us into his image of his son. That's what his end game is. Um, hmm. And so uh, it, it, yeah, it totally redefines the difficulties in our life because they're not just bad things to avoid. You know, I'm tired of this difficulty. I want it to go away or make it go away or, or just, walk, you know, whatever I need to do to tune it out or turn it off. You know, rather I can actually embrace it, seek to honor him and, and how I deal with it, and allow him uh-huh. to change me by it. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that, um, that makes a huge difference in how you think about those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it seems like the whole sanctification process, really, I mean, when you really look at it, um, we all have challenges in some way that we um, have had in life. <laughs> So it seems like when we come, and when, that that doesn't just go away when we get saved. <laughs> and so it looks I like it's worse. whenever, yeah, exactly. And so it looks like this whole um, the sanctification process is really God transforming us to deal with these issues in our lives to overcome them. And that 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 is our Christian testimony is, you know, we look at the things that that we've overcome, but not through our strength, but through the grace of God. And um, and so these things actually work for our good, which <laughs> is kind of revolutionary because 
the thought is that bad things, that life is just supposed to be perfect, and we live in this utopian society, and only good is supposed to happen to me, and when something bad happens, why me? Um, and that there's no good purpose that can come out of our suffering. But it, it appears that, you know, as I read Scripture more and more, that these things are given to us by God and allowed in our lives by God um, to draw us closer to him, which is our ultimate purpose, which is what you talked about earlier. So it's just neat how um, that all works together. Yeah, I think, um, actually, I really like how you, you know, kind of brought that topic in there because it really, in many ways, it's the story of the Bible. You know, I mean, you have uh, Dr. Leventhal. I'm not sure if he gave the same talk when you were there at Southern Evangelical Seminary, but he had this talk about, you know, Christians as the underdog. Um, mm. And so I think, um, and how, you know, God will, for the sake of making himself known, yeah, will put the believer in a very difficult circumstance or the group of believers. Because in that situation, as they learn to depend upon him and as they do so, then he, his glory shines forth. And so we have a lot of, you know, human, uh, like, you see the Old Testament, there's a lot of political ways that it shows up, but, you know, you have David, not Saul, as, as God's man. You know, Saul is the human guy of seeing, yes, this is the guy I want um, to be our king, but but God's man is, is David, who isn't the guy you'd be picking. You have the story of Gideon, and in the sense of that he was, um, you know, terrified and hiding when God calls him. You know, and then he brings his army down to 300, and they go and achieve victory. Um, and so we have this this ongoing thing. That you actually have you know, the savior of the world being born in a manger and hiding the Christmas. You know, and so like here we are seeing this God having a way of working that is um, through the great the great long odds. And so in the same kind of vein, when you have the Christian who is able to um, be an overcomer. Um, through great difficulty and do things that they wouldn't have done without God, well, then God gets the credit for that. God gets the glory for that. And so I think that God does give us, uh, I think, greater challenges because as we um, show grace um, and, and faithfulness and honoring him and all those, and that, and that stands out. That makes the difference. And that shows how only God could have done that. Amen. So it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Devin and I, during the break, is that it's all about the glory of God in our lives and his glory being reflected in our, in our lives. There was something that you brought up earlier, Mike, um, about making choices to, um, to, to, read, to look at what the Bible says and what God has to say and trusting that instead of, um, you know, instead of, you know, how others have heard us or how our experiences have been, but really looking at God's word as the final say so in all these matters. But I thought that was interesting, the whole the 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 terminology of, of making choices to do that. Um because in some senses people um they think that they're powerless, that they, they're not able to make choices and that has to do with the view anthropology and view of man that um and, and we've heard it, you know, in terms of addictions, I'm powerless over this, you know. Um and I agree in a sense that we are without the power of God working in us. But there there seems to be a responsibility that God gives man um, through give, through the way that he created us uh, with mind, will, and emotions to make choices for the good. Yeah, so we we're definitely responsible beings. Um, and, uh, and so we are responsible to not only what we do, but, yeah, what we choose to, we choose to think or to accept as true. 
Um, and mm-hmm. so we can have a temptation where a thought comes into our mind. But what we do with it is, is up to us. Um, I wish I could quote you the exact verse. I think it's the Second Corinthians where Paul, you know, right after he gives that great verse on, um, you know, we demolish uh, speculations and everything that rises itself against the knowledge of God, but we also take every thought captive. And so that the challenge for the believer um, will always be to be at in, intentionally choosing to believe what's true. Um, you know, what I think the demonic's most common uh, temptation is, is around the area of deception and not believing true things. And so we have to, you know, intentionally come to learn and discover what, what is true and then choose to believe it, um, even if we have a history of, of choosing to believe false things. Um, and so it is a discipline to, to do that. And it requires, and a lot of people don't think they can even do that. So having, helping them to understand that, yes, you can choose to what you believe. Um, and then as we do that, then our um, actions, as we choose to act in light of what we know is true, our emotions tend to follow that. And so people tend, will we'll often get it backwards where the emotions drive the train and the actions and thoughts follow it. We have to put the thoughts first, the actions second, and the feelings eventually come around. That's really neat, absolutely. So God has made us volitional creatures, able to make choices, able to reason. And I kind of wanted to get into that that next um, in our last part here about the reasoning aspect of man and and this whole and apologetics, which you've studied and you've gotten a degree in. And people would say, how in the world would you tie apologetics into counseling? You know, because when, when you typically think of Christian counseling, when people go into that as a profession or a career, um, they kind of don't think that the theology, apologetics, that that stuff is even relevant or important. It's more of just learning how to counsel people and how to meet people's emotional needs. But I think the, the whole theological um, implications and apologetic implications are so overwhelming when discussing pe- um, these deep issues with people. So. Um, let's talk about that, apologetics and the ability to reason and why reasoning is so important in the counseling process. Yeah, and this is an area that's still under under construction to a certain extent uh, with me even, um, and I think within the larger you know, Christian counseling community for, for sure. Um, you know, I, read a, I read a lot of Christian counselors, and um, and you can have within a book with lots of really good information, uh, whether it's you know strong in secondary matters or strong in primary matters, um, but they tend to nearly always get get truth wrong, um, have some level of weakness in theology, and a suspicion at best of apologetics. Um, and I think it's hugely unfortunate. Because um, when people think of apologetics, I think it's easy to think of the professional debater kind of thing. And, um, and so you have the guy you know, up there that's kind of given the, the speech and exposing the bad arguments. And, and so it's, you know, that can be seem very threatening um, if you're thinking of it in those terms. And one of the things you want to do in counseling is, is to create an atmosphere of safety, an atmosphere of openness. If someone, you know, thinks that you're going to dress them down theologically if they make the slightest error, you know, then that's, I think, that's what drives a lot of that suspicion. Um, it, it plus, or, or there's a philosophical, you know, distrust of apologetics anyways, because a lot of people will think apologetics is about man and what man can do, and we're interested in what God and what God can do. So I think having a rightful understanding of what is the role of reason, you know, what has God given us, in terms of our, you know, our design, our minds are, no, are to know truth, and then reason helps us to discover truth and to um, rule out 
falsehood. Um, and so, and if you think of it in those terms, think about it that the goal of reason is to help us to know and believe what is true. Um, then the apologetic issues become hugely important because Jesus says that it's truth that sets us free. And so a lot of people um, come in, you know, like you used the substance example earlier, feeling as if they are have no control or power over anything, um, especially the, the particular issue for which they are um, struggling. And so if we're going to believe that, that God can actually give them freedom, not just in theory but in reality, um, and that truth can have a role in that, then suddenly a reason being essential to knowing truth, um, then suddenly reason and apologetics has a, a big uh, role in the counseling process. Um, and so a lot of what I do within the counseling room is as you're building rapport with people and you're building relationships and you're getting to hear their story, is you're helping them to, again, to make connections um, between, you know, actions and beliefs and, and challenges. And you're also helping to, to break false ones, like where they will, you know, in, in, a, in a thousand different ways, they can have false beliefs and, and, and around things. And in a very loving, gentle way, you can help them to come to understand, you know, the, 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 the deception that they've been buying into, the falsehood they've been buying into. And so apologetics, we think of it in, in terms of a spiritual discipline, in terms of, you know, honoring God with our minds and, and being able to think clearly. Um, and, and then we are not only role modeling how to do that, we also get providing guidance in, in how to, you know, to do the things we've been talking about. Like how do you take thoughts captive? How do you choose to believe what is true? How do you even recognize falsehood? You know, how are we going to, you know, clarify false beliefs about God or false beliefs about ourselves or false beliefs about, you know, idolatry? You know, what do we, what these false, these false idols that we think will ultimately fulfill us that don't? You know, we're going to be doing some level of, of, you know, official or unofficial apologetics and in addressing all of those things. Um, so, you know, so knowing, knowing the truth, knowing the truth of the Bible, knowing having sound theology, being able to think clearly are indispensable in helping people, you know, engage in a process of discipleship by which they are able to overcome, you know, the challenges and then the hurtful, destructive ways of living that they've been engaging in. Right. That's neat. Um, so, and, you know, and also, I mean, we see, even in our culture, we see this whole battle against absolute truth and can we really know anything um, and just kind of living by, by our feelings. And I think that that's the reason that we do see so many people walking around um, just not able to discern anything and not able to, to overcome their issues in life, even, you know, Christians, which is, I, I know who you mostly counsel, but just this idea that we can't really um, have any absolute truth, and so everything's subjective, and um, so that can that can definitely be a hindrance um, to, you know, finding out, or to, or to get into the root cause of our issues, I would say. Yeah, um, because I think I think that's kind of the default view of, of most folks, and so, um, and what's kind of neat about that kind of thing is, um, I think I think it's, it's a wonderful gift that God has, um, that God gives people, is that when people say things out loud, when they come out with their own uh, rationalizations or their sense of, you know, subjectivism, um, lots of times even when they say it, they even recognize the how it is kind of flaky. You know, um, and so, so that's where I think it's, it's, it's 
crazy is that you have this, you know, the spirit of the age, uh, which subjectivism is a big part of it, and, and, and relativism. Um, and so, but when you get into a conversation with somebody, and, and what's neat about counseling is that people come, you know, almost always because they're genuinely desiring, you know, help. Um, and so when they kind of come out with something that's kind of flaky, you can kind of just see it for what it is, and they, and they see it for what it is. And so it's kind of um, it's kind of neat that you can just you know I think it's another uh, J.B. Dushevsky in one of his books talks about we have um, like a banana a baloney meter you know when you say something that's, that's just baloney we we can kind of recognize it and so um, I think it's kind of what goes on with a lot of that um, and then or or just you know again a well placed question if someone were to lay out something that is um, that's built upon these false views you know I think if you just ask and it's not always necessarily like the the um, you know cutting the throat like apologetic thing as such you want to do it in a way that's going to be um, helping them under you know, to see their own assumptions and to see their own um, rationalizations in it and so you want to have it be you having to be very redemptive and, and gentle and caring and loving but you still ask a well-placed question that, that exposes the lie that exposes the fallacy um, and people can see it for what it is and so it's, it's yeah being able to ask um, You'll ask the right kinds of questions. I think is really, really helpful. And if someone is, you know, rally oriented towards towards God and in His truth, um, you know, if they're wanting to really find help in a situation, then then the, you know they kind of see it for what it is and are able to kind of set it aside. Hmm. And just in terms of you know, like we talked earlier about knowing and understanding the attributes of God and who He is, but unless you believe in absolute truth. Um, then you can't really know anything about God, you know, in, in the agnostic kind of view. Um, and, you know, even if God exists without using some of these apologetic tools. Uh, so that that's really neat to be able to incorporate that in counseling. Yeah, yeah I haven't had to face a lot of the more, you know, general agnosticism. I have a little bit. Um, and so to some extent, you know, you want to sort out um, the genuine objection versus the smoke screen. Um, and then, you know, then depending on what it is, you either give the straight answer or you, you blow away the smoke. Um, and so far, I found that to be um, pretty effective. And, and people, again, once you're in that, once you have that kind of relationship with folks, usually I've found that they tend not to, uh, for the most part, really hold on to that. You know, once you kind of expose mm-hmm. it, you can see it, and then they kind of, you know, don't. Because it is different in a debate. When you get into theological debates, um, people tend to be very, very invested in their position or very, you know, invested in, in not buying into other positions. Um, and so you have an issue of, um, of pride, the issue of, of ownership. Um, that in the counseling office, it tends to work a little differently um, that I found. Um, but you still, you still have it at times when people have particular issues that they're not wanting to deal with. Or if someone's there, uh, like you'll have, like if you're doing some kind of marital counseling, if it, one spouse isn't as excited about being there as, as the one is, the, you know, the one that kind of initiated everything, you see that more often. It's more of a will issue, though. You see that if someone's really oriented in their will, and that stuff tends to work itself out. Wow. That's so neat. And, um, and even, you know, as we've talked about earlier about, you know, bad things happening in our lives and people hurting us and that sort of thing, um, even dealing with that and the problem of evil in counseling, I know that that's prevalent. It, it has to be as people are trying to reconcile um, why, 
you know, how God could let certain things happen in their lives and how can there be a good God while all these all these tragedies have happened in our lives. And that, I mean, you know, that's a, that that at the core can be a, an apologetic question. It is an emotional issue, I, I understand, but there can be, you can really incorporate some really good apologetics in a way I think that is um, comforting. Because, um, you know, I know just for myself, um, the problem of evil and studying that issue has been so important in my life, um, just to, on a practical level to help me to deal with, you know, the challenges of life that, that I've had to go through. Um, so that I think that's neat how that can even be incorporated in terms of your counseling with people. Yeah, I mean, because it comes up, and, and when, um, you know, I think uh, you know, Robbie's Zach Christ is one of my heroes, so probably my biggest hero, and he addresses that a lot in his books. And he, he does try to genuinely balance the emotional from the, the theological and the philosophical aspect of it. But you always have to have right. both. Um, and so you want to have genuine empathy um, towards people and, and the hardships in their life and to care about that and to hurt with them. And I think there's that has to be part of the equation. Um, and so people are wrestling with, you know, how do I, how do I reconcile um, God and who he is um, and, and then these things that have happened in my life? And so, um, yeah, you, you do face that and, and a lot of the time, and so part of it is, um, is clarifying, like I talked about earlier, is that there is a strong um, success mentality uh, within the Christian community around, again, why do these bad things happen as if, you know, as if heaven is now. You know, we want God. I have God now, therefore my life should all work out exactly right. And no, no, that, that happens at the end. You know, in the meantime, we're in a transformational process. And that happens more through through difficulty than through, uh, you know, ease and and. and Things, all everything working out exactly right, um, mm-hmm. and so so clarifying along on some of those lines, um, and uh, yeah, and then yeah, I think you do have to treat the issue of um, you know good God, yes, sovereign God, yes, painful hurts, you know, yes, you know, and so you need to be able to you know in, in a in a genuine way to to deal with that. And I think that people again that, that if they're really wanting to be helped really wanting to, you know, that they have a genuine faith and they want to understand it, you know, tend to be very receptive to to answers. You know, I get a lot of people, a lot of what I do, I love to ask questions and I'll ask questions throughout sessions and it can help people to see within themselves and what's going on within themselves. But there's also those times when people have a question and they get stuck, you know, and they just don't have the resources to, um, sort through all that. And so that's where the apologetic reasoning and the theology comes in because you can then help them follow the lines of thought all the way through and say, yes, it does work out. Yes, this stuff does add up, you know. And so then the look of, look of relief, because I think there's an underlying fear that, you know, that maybe it doesn't add up, maybe there is no explanation. And then when you can help understand that, yes, there is, um, it's very, very relieving and comforting. And I think that's things to move forward. Mm-hmm. And then um, also, Mike, I know that people have an issue at times with God seeming um, somewhat distant or hidden. Um, I know that, that that probably does come up in your counseling as well, right? Yeah, it's kind of along the same lines as the problem of evil because it's like, okay, God, well, I've 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 tried, you know, I've tried, and and I don't see your necessarily you're keeping up your end of the bargain, um, and mm-hmm. so uh, helping to them understand what is the bargain, you know, for a lot of people they think that well, if I do these right things, then right things should happen, and I think that's one of the flaws of 
Um, this is where we have to be careful, though. When it comes to like Proverbs ways of thinking, you know, if I do, if I live in accordance with design, good things will happen. Well, Proverbs are, are general things, are general truths, are generally true. Yeah, as a rule, when we act in accordance with design, things good things do happen. But it's but it's not an absolute thing where because I did the moral thing or did the God honoring thing, therefore I'm going to get the big promotion in the big raise. You know, sometimes right. I get laid off. And so understanding that the hiddenness of God isn't necessarily that, you know, maybe the bargain was misunderstood in the first place. Um, or it's an issue of, you know, again, seeing it from the standpoint of sanctification, is, is um, uh, from the standpoint of growing faith. Um, Larry Crabb, um, in one of his books, um, gives a wonderful example of this. Um, talking about history, it was his dad that was, like, sick in the mm-hmm. hospital. And uh, mm-hmm. his dad um, talked about how um, for, like, the two weeks he was sick in the hospital, he never, like, one time sensed God's presence, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking to Larry, his son, afterwards. And he had the most amazing uh, way of saying it. He's like, I'm so impressed that God saw me in a place of my faith where he could give me two weeks of having one sense of his presence, that he trusted me mm-hmm. that much, you know, or allowed me to grow in that way. And so it's in that sense of where, where he understood it from the standpoint of sanctification, where he's going through a hard time and God seems hidden. He doesn't see it as God failing him. He sees that as God growing him. And mm. so um, so that mentality, again, is, is a huge way, um, huge importance of understanding, you know, what is God up to? Who is he? And, and we are we willing to choose to believe that and choose to entrust ourselves to that even when, you know, the feelings aren't there or you know, things aren't happening like we thought they should or would. Right. Wow, that's, yeah. <laughs> and we all we all get there at some points in our lives. You know, we all, you know, are perplexed at life, and um, none of us has passed the test completely. <laughs> um, and we get to those times where we are, uh, we do feel alone and abandoned, and it's just natural to, just doubt God in those times. And I think that, you know, when you see a lot of, especially like you're really angry atheist, um, I can't help but to, to wonder if there were things that happened, you know, along the way that just that really fueled this hatred for God. I mean, it may not be, but I just wonder, you know, was there something along the way that yeah. may have, uh, have contributed to that, though? Yeah, I think in, in many cases, um, and actually Paul Vitz has a book, um, called uh, Faith of the Fatherless. Um, I've heard, he I've heard about, that. Yeah, and so yeah, and that, the idea in that book is that for most atheists, um, they had a weak, um, absent fathers. Um, and so again, by God's design, our, our our parents are supposed to show us God by by way of role modeling. Um, and mm. so when you see people, um, and you look at their parents. Um, as a rule, not all the time, but as a rule, their their beliefs about God mirror that, parallel that very closely. Um, and so, yeah, I think in, in for most atheists, not all atheists, but um, you have that, yeah, therefore you can see, um, you know, the, the atheism as a kind of, um, uh, like, you know, I think, I forget who said it, but the idea of wish fulfillment, you know, where people, where atheists will choose Christians as being, Believing in God because of you know wanting that that perfect father figure, well, it works out opposite or you know the corollary as well as the atheists is that they um, project 
their anger and their sense of abandonment from their earthly parents onto uh, onto God. I think that's why part of the reason you see so much emotional energy spent in their disbelief. If it was merely a Santa Claus or Easter Bunny issue, you wouldn't see the level of, of intensity of emotion yeah. associated with the disbelief. Um, there's clearly more more going on than that. More there. Well, Mike, this has all been so interesting to me and I know to Devin and to our listeners, and I, I can't believe that we've gone over an hour now. <laughs> um, but we yeah. will definitely need to get you back on to get into some more issues related to this. Um, and um, can pe- is there a way people can get in touch with you if they have questions or, or you know, want more resources on this? Yeah, well, there's a thousand resources. Um, I mean, yeah, I think if people were to um, want to uh, ask questions or follow up. Um, I'm trying to think the best way to do it. Um, I guess you might just find me on Facebook, I guess. Um, okay. You know, I'm just under my name, Mike Kuslinski. You can you know, send me messages on there, and I can provide right. a guidance um, as, you know, as, as warranted by the situation. Um, I, do, awesome. I would warn, though, that um, I, can't, I don't really do the Dr. Laura thing, so I, I really can't take a – if someone wanted, like, actual counsel on something, it would be hard for me to take, like, a 30-minute, you know, 30-second yeah. thing and, and actually provide a lot of quality counsel along those lines. But in terms of okay. just generalities or, or looking for resources, I'd be happy to provide those. Awesome, Mike. Again, thank you so much for taking time away from your family and your life um, to be here with us today. And, um, again, Devin is – yeah, he just messaged me, and he's still feeling bad, but um, he um, wanted to, to send you his best in regards for being here with us as well. So really appreciate you. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys very much as well. Um, as I've mentioned to you all privately, uh, Misty and I greatly respect and appreciate you guys and your commitment to uh, to the Lord and to his kingdom. And and so a uh, very glad for the opportunity to come and talk a little bit about what God's doing in my life um, with you guys. We truly appreciate you guys, and you guys are definitely an inspiration and an example to us as well. And uh, we will pray for you and your ministry and for your family. And God bless you guys. Uh, thank you. Bless you. God bless you too. Thanks, Melissa. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, folks. Well, we are coming to the end of another session of Theology Matters. And, again, um, sorry that Devin couldn't finish the show out. He wasn't feeling well, but i um, glad that I could kind of take the reins here for a bit and very thankful for our guest, um, Dr. Norman Geisler, and for Mike Kozlinski. This has been a great show and one of my favorites. And so um, definitely pass this along to people who you think may need this information. And we look forward to seeing you all again next week on Theology Matters. And God bless you. Thank you so much for your support. Pray that you all have a wonderful, blessed week and a very wonderful and blessed Christmas holiday. God bless. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right up. It's that biblical, biblical theology, theology study of the person of God attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics. And Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. So please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology. That phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough. Uh-huh. Just give me Jesus, that will be enough. 
That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian's not optional. Cause when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation, creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. Yeah. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens, sturdy and fixed. Romans 11:36. Biblical theology encompasses who God is, what He promises and accomplishes. So clever we behold His endeavors unfold. The greatest, greatest story, story ever, ever told. told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. He gave us the word providing us correction. And the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our death, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology.